0: Three percent, sixty-nine percent. Who's that? Sixty what? Sixty-nine. Joe thinks he's being funny. Oh, childish! <laughs> it's three percent. It's what it is. Three percent. I'm going to see Spencer tomorrow, though. Spencer and I will be sharing a uh, a building. We'll be sharing. A, maybe. I mean, he's going to be in the TV booth. But my, I'm going to stop, stop by and break bread. I'm going to stop by and say hello and tell him. You know, say get some things off of my chest. Let him know some things. I, I very much look forward. To seeing Spence tomorrow, working alongside Tim Brando, former friend of the show,
1: he is. But he he's fire when he gets on the air. He,
0: he does not stop. He airs
1: <laughs> it out.
0: He does not stop. All right, um, Yainer Diaz. Whenever he starts as the catcher, and it's a shame he's only started 38 games this year behind the dish. Like, I'm not asking that Yiner Diaz, like, we're asking it now that we'd like for him to be the everyday catcher. I know we've conceded that point. At the start of the season, I wasn't saying that Yiner needs to catch 100 games. And, like, I never anticipated a rookie to catch 100 games. So, like, this isn't where this conversation is going. But seeing that Yiner Diaz is 26 and 12, the Astros are 26 and 12 when Yiner Diaz is the starting catcher. It's my favorite stat of the year. Like Kyle Tucker is going to flirt with 30 30, maybe he gets it. That's not my favorite stat. Jose Altuve is going to have a 300, you know, batting average north of 300. Not my favorite stat. Bregman might do 100 runs, 100 RBIs. Not my favorite stat. My favorite stat for the Astros this year is that they're 26 and 12 when Yiner Diaz is the starting catcher. Does that mean anything? Is that significant? Does that tell a story at all? It should.
1: And I think that with us being split up yesterday and, and not being you know, back and forth sharing comments on the Astros, I brought this up, and I think it's interesting because of the fact that it leads to right into what you're saying. If we heard from Dusty a week ago that we were going we to have to digest the fact Maldi's going to catch Hunter Brown because Hunter needs to get right, and, and essentially Maldi's the guy to do it and then Hunter Brown just looks terrible and gives up you know, multiple runs in the first couple innings, and it's over. And then we look at a guy like Javier who's been struggling, who's a Maldi guy, and, and you start saying, look, the fact that Hunter Brown's next start with Yiner behind the plate, smooth sailing, no hits, five innings, good start, well, then why doesn't it work both ways? Why can't we get an extra game behind the dish for Yiner and see if he can't figure out Javier a little better than Maldi's been doing. We know the guys at the top of the rotation, JV and Fromber, are going to get their guy in Maldi. But why not flip-flop that extra game in the rotation of the five guys when you're starting to split up duties and who gets to catch who? Why why don't you give Yiner an extra day right now and let him try and get Javier right?
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. Dusty has a veteran bias. Oh, and he sure does. That's what's also kind of amazing about this stat is that Yiner's 26 and 12. The Astros are 26 and 12. When Yiner Diaz is the starting catcher, Yiner catches the back half of the rotation. Yiner catches right. Hunter Brown. Yiner catches JP France. Yiner catches like Jose Archidi whenever he was pitching. Martín Maldonado catches the two best starters. He catches Justin Verlander and he catches he catches Framber Valdez and he caught Christian Javier he earlier. Catch a lot in the more year. W's because Christian, like we we, I mean, we point out that Christian Javier hasn't been good lately and he hasn't been. Christian Javier was stacking up wins early in the year. In the first half of the year he was stacking up victories. And he was working to Martín Maldonado. So this twenty six and twelve when Yiner is the starting catcher is without Fromber Valdez. It's without Justin Verlander and it's without first half of the year Christian Javier when he was stacking up wins. So Yiner Diaz is winning twenty six of thirty eight games when he starts with Hunter Brown, who's been not you know he's been shaky. He has an ERA north of four with J P France, who's a twenty seven year old rookie, uh, with the back half of this rotation. Like it, it's wild to think. Like twenty six and twelve is one thing. Twenty six and twelve with the back half of the rotation is another. Is it a coincidence? What can you tell with this information? I think it's because simply Yiner Diaz makes the lineup way better. Like, well, Yiner Diaz's numbers versus Martin Maldonado's numbers, there's an uptick offensively, better offense, you score more runs, you score more runs in the other team, you win more baseball games. I don't think it's that complicated. I really do think it's that simple. I think
1: the other thing that it says, Jeremy, is the fact that it is not this insurmountable margin of difference between Maldonado and Yiner behind the plate that a lot of people think it is. And it's just another statistic that goes along with the fact that once you get away from the, the first five, the starters, the, the five, or six guys that you're going to throw out there on the bump to start a ball game. The bullpen doesn't really care. They appreciate what Maldi puts into the game when you look at the numbers and look at the effectiveness and look at the fact that it's pretty, it's not a, a, a massive distance between the two guys either for the most part yiner should get more opportunities the only reason why he's not is exactly what you said earlier that veteran bias that dusty has it's the same thing and the same reason why you and i are talking about what's the rotation going to look like for the playoffs and the only reason why we're not going to get the guy that we think should and has earned and deserves the chance to be the number three starter in jp francis because with Veteran bias, there's no doubt Dusty's going to go to Javier. It doesn't matter what he's been doing lately. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter that he's not been his normal self. It matters that Dusty trusts him.
0: Yeah, and I honestly, I hate having this conversation over and over. Like, this this conversation to me is kind of the whole, like, Texans traded their first-rounder next year, black cloud conversation. Like, you can beat the horse till it's dead how many times, right? Like, we continue to have the Yiner versus Maldi. We know what the result's going to be with Dusty Baker as the manager. So, like, continuing to talk about this when there's nothing new is frustrating, but then whenever you see the numbers that Yiner Diaz has won 26 of 38 games when he's the starter and doing it with the back half of the rotation, it's like, Man, that that's that's alarming. That's eye popping. Like, is that something that, you know, you should be kind of spending some more time digesting that information.
1: Because it's it's a tangible stat that matters. It's not, you know, just throwing flailing in the wind saying, This is my guy, this is who I prefer. I like bombs, I like home runs, I like Yiner, he should be in the lineup. No. This is a tangible stat you can wrap your arms around and go, That's pretty damn good for a team where every win matters right now.
0: The lineup is out for today, too, by the way. Uh, It just came out. Um, Guess who's not playing?
1: Jiner Diaz.
0: Yiner's not playing. Christian Javier's on the mound. So no Yiner today. Altuve at second. Pena at short. Jordan DHs. Bregman at third. Tucker in right. Abreu's back at first. Brantley in left. Chaz in center. Maldonado catches. I, it's about as expected. No one expected us, or no one expected the Astros to catch Javier with Yiner Diaz. So no, no Yiner again.
1: No, but I, I like the fact that Chaz is in center field. Yeah. I, I mean, like the fact that there's, you know, yeah, Abreu's back is, at first base. But this is, this is a pretty good lineup. This is the lineup
0: that you would expect with Javier on the mound. It's the lineup that, I mean, again, if we're conceding that Maldi's catching Christian Javier, that we would expect. 713-780-3776. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Willie, you're in the high with the Killer Bees. What's up?
2: Hey, thanks for taking my call. And uh, I'd like to say that Hunter has been called by Diaz, I mean, by uh, Maldi and Diaz. He did the same with about almost all the... Uh, uh, performances except for this last one, so you know uh, that wasn't that wasn't fair. And vs uh, has caught Javier a couple of times. I think it's one it, star. it don't matter who's catching him. He 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 he's not going to do. You know he just ain't got it this year right now. Yeah,
1: but Willie, it gets and, him in the lineup lost. with his bat another game. If it doesn't matter, then let let, let let's see. Put Yiner in there and see if it makes a difference with his bat in the lineup. If it doesn't make a difference, in your opinion, with Javier on the mound,
2: well, actually, I really don't. I I, I don't even care about the catcher. You know, uh, what, what I care about is uh, the defense and and the pitching and uh, whoever catches. It, it, it's just catching because it's pointless. It don't matter what I say or what Dutch say. You know, y'all, y'all got a show to do. And <laughs> and another thing, you know, if one through seven don't hit, it, it don't matter who, who batting eighth and ninth. Uh, Singleton and uh, Jay got a hit the other day. Mm-hmm. The day before that, a, a you didn't get a hit or Chaz didn't get a hit. Chaz is my favorite player. It, it don't matter. And one through seven, they it don't, they go lose anyway. Yeah. So I hear
0: you, well, Willie. Thanks for that. You got it, Willie. Appreciate the call. Have a have a great weekend. I'm surprised Jasmine Cormick's your favorite player. I caught me a little bit off guard. <laughs> um, now that's I mean. You're right. Like, if one through seven don't hit, you're not going to win many games. But if one through seven don't hit, and then Yiner pops a home run out of the eight spot, does that have a better chance to win than whatever you're doing eight, nine when Yiner's not there? Like,
1: if nine's hitting bombs with Doobie in it, and, 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 yeah, Doobie and Altuve go back to back twice in a game against the Rangers, does it matter? Right.
0: Like, I get that eight, nine doesn't matter as much as one through seven, but eight, nine one day versus eight, nine the next day could come into play. Uh, the whole, like, pitcher with their catcher stats like the catcher era martin maldonado's caught christian javier in 24 games yiner has caught him twice but i think one of them was off the bench because he's only caught well maybe both were starts because he's caught him nine innings total javier's era with yiner this is only nine innings right. so like it doesn't even matter it's 466 with maldonado it's 494 but again that's such, such a small sample size with yiner like i'm just gonna throw that one out like dismiss that one But you have a much better split with Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown has thrown to Yiner 16 times, 82 innings. He's thrown to Maldi 12 times, 64 innings. So that's a pretty good substantial amount of size for both catchers. Hunter Brown, when he's working to Yiner Diaz, has a three ninety-four ERA, Hunter Brown, when he's working to Martín Maldonado, has a 5.48 ERA. Oh. So Willie, when you say that they're about even, they're not. Like that's a mm. full that's a full run and a half difference with Yiner and Maldi. And is that coincidence? Is it is it random? I would argue that it could be, but you can't call them even, though. Nope.
1: No, you can't. Yeah, you can't call them even. And again, it, it, that's why, as much as Dusty's talking about pit stops, and sometimes you just got to take a pit day. stop, <laughs> and you got to you got to get some guys some rest. Well, then you also, if you're going to still tinker and give guys nights off, or try to, think, to do things differently, or to change what's been the norm, that's why I think you should give Yiner a chance to catch Javier again and see if it makes a difference. Because you need to try and straighten him out. Because I'm just, we we're both telling you, but I, I'm gonna I'm just here to tell you, Willie. As much as we think that Javier, to your point, is is just a lost cause this year. The fact is, Dusty's going to start him in Game Three uh, in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, he could be. I mean, it really could. He, he he could be a lost cause, and if he is a lost cause, and you're you you've made that decision, he is a lost cause. He shouldn't pitch in the playoffs. Quite frankly, he and he and he shouldn't be the three starter. I don't think you're wrong. He just shouldn't be. 713-780-ESPN, hr and listener line. We'll get to the who's been the Astros' best rookie so far. You have three options, right? You have Yiner, you have Hunter Brown, you have J.P. France. Which of the three has been the best? And you might have noticed the Rangers are kind of hot right now. They've won six, six in, a in a row. They yep. swept the Blue Jays as well. Not great, right? Because the Rangers are pulled within half a game. Because I'm always super positive, we're always super positive, the Killer Bees, the silver lining of the Rangers doing just that. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Look, there's sports going on right now, and there's sports going on right now. It means you want to bet on the sports that are going on right now, especially the football that's going on right now. I hope you had the Eagles yesterday. If you're making these bets, you should be making them on BetUS.com. They are my favorite sports book. It is my favorite casino. Football is back, and it means it's time to lay down your bets. I only endorse one sports book and casino, and that is, of course, betus.com. Why? Well, BetUS is celebrating the 30th year of sports betting service and they have a special offer just for you this football season. Up to 30 risk-free bets. That's right, up to 30 risk-free bets. It's called Bet Protect. If that isn't enough, BetUS offers the industry's biggest 125% sign-up bonus. You heard me right, it's a 125% sign-up bonus, the biggest in the industry. There's even more. BetUS.com offers a massive 200-200% crypto sign-up bonus and a 250% casino bonus. The game always gets more exciting with a bet, but you can take it to another level at betus.com with live in-game betting. Do not wait. Take advantage of their 30th-year offer with up to 30 risk-free bets. Get Bet Protect. Get started today by visiting BetUS.com or give them a call at 1-800-MY-BET-US. That's one eight hundred six nine two thirty eight eighty seven 692 3887 to learn all about their bonuses and special offers. 1-800-MY-BET-US, BetUS.com. BetUS Sportsbook and Casino, where the game begins. The uh, texture here with a funny line. seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. He's blank on Branham. Uh, if Yiner hits a home run but it's in the 8 spot, does it make a sound? <laughs> That's a great response really to Willie. Good. Where It doesn't right. matter who's hitting 8-9 if 1-7 can't it. do anything. What if Yiner goes 3-for-3 three three with three home runs in the 8-hole and 1-7 gets shut out?
1: You got at least three doesn't runs. Matter. Jeremy, I'm sorry. Two Willie's two here to tell you. It doesn't matter. Free Willie. Does
0: Yiner, if Yiner hits a home run in the 8-spot, doesn't make a sound? Yes. And because of John Diaz, it probably makes a very loud wow. sound because all he does is find barrels. Yainer Diaz finds barrels.
1: He could splash into Kauffman Stadium in center field and make a splash.
0: Crack the foundation of the fountain. Is he the best Astros rookie? Because you have Hunter Brown, you have JP France. Both are very valuable to you. Like, Hunter Brown hasn't had the rookie season that we thought. Like, rookie of the year was something that we talked about with Brown. He might not even be the rookie of the pitching staff with the way JP France is going. Brown's stuff still, like, you know, he's getting Babbitt to death. He's still got swing and miss. He's still, I, I, his potential, to me, has not been diminished at all uh, with what people would call a rocky rookie year. J.P. France has been Mr. Consistency in the bullpen when you desperately needed it after Luis Garcia, after Akiti. If you want to throw Lance McCullers into the conversation, which is fair if you don't. And then, of course, on the offensive side, it's been the seldom-used uh, Yiner Diaz. That's probably not fair to say. He's been used more than seldomly, but not behind the plate. Who has been the Astros' best rookie today?
1: This is, this is really tight because... What JP France has done and what when you absolutely thought that you were running out of options and you didn't know where to turn and he wasn't counted on to start the year and then to be the most consistent starter that you've seen across this rotation for for the entire season, that's tough to turn turn away from. But when you look at a guy that also puts up numbers equal to or, or hovering around or better than, in certain cases, Atlee Rushman, When you're talking about a guy new on the scene as a rookie catcher in this league that plays other positions when he's allowed to, I mean, Yiner's been just as as important in a lot of ways from the offensive standpoint with all the injuries you've had. So this is a really tough question for me. I lean Yiner. I will will say Yiner. I, I think that because of the fact that that's a power source, too, that you didn't expect to come through the way he's done it, the fact that we're even having conversations about him, and I, I've i been adamant about him playing every day, I'm going to lean Yiner Diaz, I'm going to say Yiner Diaz, but I think it is it's, in a lot of ways it's too close to call because I've also been a staunch supporter of what J.P. France has done. See, I think all three are in
0: the same conversation because even though Hunter Brown's ERA is high, like Hunter Brown's still giving you 146 innings, like that's valuable to a pitching staff that has been banged up. Now, JP France has come out of nowhere and has given you 127 innings. They each have the same amount of wins: Brown 11, JP France 11. Now, France has only lost five games. Hunter Brown's lost 11. He's got a 500 record. You look at their WHIPs; their WHIPs are kind of similar. Hunter Brown's one three three nine. JP France is one three two three, like it's not that far off when you look at that. And then like some of the advanced numbers, like fielding independent pitching, which I think is a silly stat. I think it's overrated. But Hunter Hunter Brown has better numbers with the peripheral stats than JP France does. If you want to go like how all the MVP voters go these days, and you want to look at just like okay, well, what's the player's value? What is their what is their war? Like people always uh, look at the war whenever you're talking about players these days, especially MVP voters. Uh, you look at Yiner Diaz where he's at with his war, Yiner. Diaz is at a three. Yiner Diaz has a three war on the year, and he's been used pretty often. Now, he hasn't been used a lot as a catcher, but he's been used pretty often. If you look at the pitching staff and you look at J.P. France, he's got a war of two. Hunter Brown's got a war of less than one. So, I'm with you. Like, to me, it's Yiner Diaz that has been the rookie of the year for the Houston Astros, and he's done that. I'm not going to call it part-time work because he's I mean, he's gonna he's gonna finish with a close to 400 plate appearances. That's more
1: than part time. Remember, work. we were questioning that early in the season when Dana Brown promised at least 300, and and he wasn't even scratching the surface. And everybody's you know. like, "How the hell are you gonna get to that number?" Well,
0: well where would he be if Jordan didn't get hurt? Like, Jhoner right. racked up these at bats because Jordan missed 40 games, and in those 40 games, Jhoner Diaz was primarily your designated hitter.
1: Yeah, and then every, and then from a defensive perspective, everybody set the table that this guy was so raw that he needed more work and, and he needed experience, and it was he wasn't ready yet to be, you know, consistently behind the plate, even in a part-time role, but getting more, more starts. And then you look at his pop times and you look at the way he threw out runners and his framing and the way that he did that better than anybody could have expected based on what we were told. You look at it and go, he completely exceeded expectations across the board in what he's doing. And he's doing it whenever he gets an opportunity to play and that's why we're demanding him get more opportunities to play now.
0: 1592 says it's J.P. France because he's been more consistent. Yiner doesn't have enough plate appearances. Now remember, J.P. France didn't start the year with the Astros. like So he has been consistent since he's played, but it had been the full year. You could push back and say, well, Yiner didn't play the first month of the season. Yiner is ninth on the team in plate appearances. He's behind Bregman, Tucker, Pena, Abreu, Dubon, Jordan, Chaz, Maldonado, and then Yiner. is uh, probably going to jump him too because he hits leadoff and he plays every yep. day. So Yiner's probably going to have the 10th tenth- most played appearances on this team, despite having a top five OPS, which is a little problematic. I still have to give Yiner the edge there. 713-780-3776. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line. Thomas, you're in the hive of the Killer Bees. Who's your rookie of the year?
3: Hey, guys. Yeah, um, I, I, I kind of set up a little, like, tournament tree in my head. And so you got Yiner with the bye week. You got two, two pitchers going against each other. And I, I mean, I'm excited about Hunter Brown, but yeah, I think I would lean towards JP France there, just because of, uh, you just you kind of know what you're getting. You know, each. I guess it's better. You feel better about JP France, and you get more excited about Hunter Brown on the possibility. Yeah. But I would lean towards JP France winning that matchup, so to speak. And then from there, I want to give JP France the the Rookie of the Year, just because. You want to fight for Yiner to have more at bats and take it, but like that—that's where I'm kind of torn. I'm just like, I think Yiner wins it if he's a regular and he's the starter, like he should be. But I have to give it to J.B. Franz for the body of work and actually executing. And I feel like he's like the workhorse of of of, of the entire pitching staff. I know you got trainer and stuff, but like he just comes in and you know you're going to get five, six innings, and he's—I mean—he's just going to fight till the end. So. Uh, But, yeah, uh, I'll
0: hang up and listen. All right. right. So, Thomas, I think Thomas was going with – I was curious for a second why Yiner got his bye, but then he didn't win the rookie of the year. I guess he was going pitching matchup, whoever's the best pitcher then matches up with Yiner in his little uh, mind tournament there that he had going on, which I don't want to know what's going on in your mind all the time, Thomas. Look, I think it's very, very close. Like, you can make the argument that Hunter Brown has been more valuable because he's had more volume – now, you can make the case that J.P. France has been more consistent. And then if you have a little, you know, pitcher off between those two rookies, okay, which one sees Yiner? I think Yiner's been too valuable with his bat. Like, where would you be without J.P. France is fair to bring up. Sure. Even Hunter Brown, because Hunter Brown's making a turn every time through the rotation when this team is needed turns through the rotation. But in terms of, like, production... Yonder Diaz has been one of the best offensive players that plays the catcher position this year. Yeah, this year you That's can't. The key, yeah, the key yeah. is
1: too because you look at Hunter Brown and expectations. He's not exceeding expectations because everybody probably.
0: I don't know if you can throw expectations into this mix though.
1: Like it should be their overall. But the reason why I throw it in year. is because you weren't expecting JP France to be on this roster.
0: Right, I get that, but I don't think that expectations should should weigh into who you would pick to like be your your rookie no, the you, year. You
1: do it based on what the, the, the yeah, it results. It should be total. But production. I'm just saying. This guy literally came out of nowhere. That's more and of a nothing story, nothing was though, expected you know? for him. Right. But then for him to come in late after everything was start- starting to fall apart and to pick it up and do what he did and carry, not only doing his job, but in a lot of cases, carry the starting pitchers for a while to make sure that even when they might have faltered, he consistently kept you through. That's why he's in the discussion. That's why it's two. That's why I think to me Hunter Brown yeah. is the guy that they expected so much from that they easily were going to pencil in to possibly the number three starter knowing that with Verlander gone and what he, sh- what he showed you last year, he was a guy that was destined to just take the next step up. He's wavered at 500. I, I just think that th- th- it's a little underwhelming for me at that point. Yeah, And so I-, I think that it comes down to the fact that, to me, Yiner could do more with more. But what he's done with the smaller opportunities he's gotten has been bigger because it's been power. It's been numbers. It's been clutch. It's been everything and more. And I think it actually impacts more because he's out there. He'd like to be out there every day, but he's out there instead of once every fifth day.
0: It might be a smaller dose of him relative to like the pitcher's workload, but it's been more valuable. 0588, if Diaz played like a starter, he'd be the AL Rookie of the Year. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. 780 Let's see what the voice of the Astros, see what he has to say on the matter. Todd Callis, live from Kansas City, joins us next on the Killer Beast, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Something that you need to do this weekend is head over to Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage. Uh, Maybe a lunch date tomorrow at Valencia's. Maybe just to watch your college football. Or you could watch your pro football there on Sundays. Because Valencia's, they're wall-to-wall on TVs over there. It's the best Tex-Mex in Houston. Perfect spot for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, the food's incredible. It is fantastic. The fajitas, made with certified Angus beef. Unbelievable Enchiladas, great. Combo platters like the summer special, all-day breakfast. Everything on the menu is delicious, and it's made from scratch, uh, scratch. The second reason? Well, they have great drinks. You go to a Tex-Mex place in Houston, you need fantastic margaritas, right? They have that. Head over Monday through Friday, 11 to 3, for their lunchtime margaritas, or the weekender happy hour, Friday through Sunday, 3 to 6. You can get a margarita for less than 5 bucks and refills for less than $2. How about their famous brunch and penny mimosas? Served until 3 p.m. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, where a bottomless re- Phil, cost you just a penny. I'm going to assume that you're into sports if you're listening to us. Well, Valencia's has a 175-inch TV wall. Wall Wall-to-wall TVs on sports, on the games you want to watch, college football all day tomorrow, pro football all day Sunday. It's your spot to have great food, great drink, and great sports. Make Valencia's tonight's dinner plan. A pair of locations in Houston, uh, Garden Oaks, Oak Forest, and the new spot on Upper Kirby, which is perfect if you're in West U, Rice Village, or River Oaks. Valencia's Tex-Mex Garage, where all the food is made from scratch. Killer B's ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Let's go straight out to the HR&P guest line. Being joined now by the TV voice of the Houston Astros, Todd Callis, live from Kansas City. Todd, thanks for taking a few minutes, putting aside your game day prep for a moment. We were just having a conversation. Who is the rookie of the year for the Houston Astros? Three nominees, really. JP France, Hunter Brown, Yiner Diaz. Who'd be your pick?
4: Wow. Uh... I hadn't thought about it. Let me think. Uh, I mean, J.P.'s probably the most valuable guy on the team just because he stepped up in a role that the Astros desperately needed. Um, but that doesn't always win rookie of the year. Uh, yeah, it's a tough call. They've all been very good. If I had to pick, I would probably say slightly J.P. France over Yiner, but I think any three of those could be a, a great choice. I think Hunter Brown's leading all rookies in innings pitched and strikeouts. So it's Hard to argue with any of those three choices, but if you're asking me to pick one, I would say J.P. slightly over Yiner, but uh, they're all real close.
1: T.K., I'm curious what your takeaway and your biggest takeaway was from that A-Series. A's we all know the Astros were supposed to win that series. We all know that after the, the first two games, the doom and the gloom was all over the place, but then the feel-good story was you almost had a no-hitter with the pitching staff, and the offense woke up again. As you headed to Kansas City, what was the takeaway from what happened and how it will affect this team as you go forward from it?
4: My takeaway was they played one of their worst series of the year, especially those first two days. Obviously, the getaway day game was pretty brilliant, almost getting the no-hitter combined. But uh, they they can't afford to sleepwalk through the series in Kansas City like they did the first couple of days against the Oakland A's. And no... No offense to Oakland, but they, they came in and, and we knew what their record was and the Astros didn't play their best baseball. There's no way around that. The A's pitched pretty well those first couple of days, uh, but the Astros can't take any team for lightly. This Kansas City team's lost 101 games, but they played Seattle tough in a home-and-home not too long ago. and They have the American League Pitcher of the Month going tomorrow and Cole Reagan's, and you know Zach Greinke's going to get up for facing his former team tonight. So if the Astros come in with the same kind of, uh, a little bit of malaise like they did against the A's, and they could be in trouble in this series. But hopefully that was the wake-up call they needed by losing those first two to Oakland and Outlet. Uh, the same thing happened here against the Royals, either this series or when the Royals come back into Houston next weekend.
0: Todd Callis uh, on the HRMP guest line is brought to you by Daspit Law Firm and Academy. You mentioned the uh, the flirting with the no-hitter uh, on Wednesday carried into the ninth. Uh, Hunter Brown, you had the combination, Montero, Narris, Abreu, then Presley after that, of course. It's always curious, the conversation about what a broadcaster should say or what they shouldn't say in a perfect game situation, no-hit situation. What's your viewpoint on that?
4: So it's changed through the years. I used to be a guy that was definitely somebody who would, who would say no-hitter or perfect game whenever it was happening just to let the viewer know or the the listener know, depending on whether I was on TV or radio. Um, I definitely think if you're on radio, you have to continually remind the viewer or the listening audience that a no hitter is going on or, or a perfect game is going on. That, that has to be done on the radio. There's no doubt about it. But about five to 10 years ago, I, I think I noticed there was kind of a shift in, in how people perceived having that set on TV. And there's, so many ways on TV you can tell a no-hitter is going on without the announcer telling you. And I, I actually did, uh, back when it was called Twitter, I did a Twitter poll, uh, and I just basically asked the fans, do you care whether the announcer says no-hitter or perfect game, or do you prefer that the announcer not say it? And I think it was something like 70% to 75% saying we definitely don't want to hear the announcer say it. So if my job is to try and appease or, or bring, bring the best possible telecast to the viewer, and they don't want to hear that. Then who am I to say I? need to say it just because uh, that's my role, uh, and I have to uh, I have to report the news. If they don't want to hear it, I'm not going to say it. So that's kind of how I've changed over the years. In the first half of my career, first two thirds of my career, I said it all the time. I didn't really care about the announcers' jinx, but people do care desperately, deeply about it. And if they care deeply about it, and it's going to tick them off if you say it, then I've gotten to the point where I don't say it. There's a lot of ways around saying it without actually saying no-hitter or saying perfect game. You can see the line score on the screen. You can say it a bunch of different ways without saying those actual words. So that's kind of how I've changed over the years.
1: But, TK, would you say it if the other team was throwing the no-hitter to jinx it? Because, you know, in the NBA, the advanced analytics gets into free-throw defense, and the announcers like to brag when they can get guys to miss free-throws. If it's effective, your no-hitter defense could actually mean something to the fans, too.
4: Oh, yeah. I'll say it for sure if the other team's throwing is that correct? He's got one going tonight in the fifth inning. I will definitely say it for sure. There you go.
1: Uh, I'm curious because you've been in baseball a long time and you've seen a lot of these team meetings that pop up from time to time. Astros have gone to the well more than once now. And I'm curious your thoughts on these team meetings and the effectiveness of said team meetings. It kind of worked the last time and it seemed like it worked again at least right away to get that, that last win in the, in the A-Series.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think teams have meetings all the time, and it doesn't always get out to the public that they have meetings. So I don't think it's very unusual that that a couple of guys have said things over the course of the last few weeks. Obviously, people know what's at stake. There's 15 games to go. Uh, You can't really do what you did those first two games in Oakland and expect to win your division. You, You just have to play better than that. And it's not easy. You can't grind for 162 games. It's a very rare player that can grind hard for 162. So you've got to try it and, and make sure that more guys are, are focused in on this series and the next series and uh, getting ready for Seattle, that final series, uh, on that last road trip before they go to Arizona. So, yeah, it's uh, team meetings happen all the time. They don't always get announced to the public, and I think these two recently uh, were found out about, which is whatever. It is fine, but uh, teams have these meetings all the time.
0: Todd Callis presented by Daspit Law Firm and Academy on the HR&P guest line. Let's start by Hunter Hunter Brown. Came at a good time for a variety of reasons. One, it it stopped a a losing skid, avoided the the sweep to the Oakland A's. But also, Hunter Brown needed this. Hunter Brown has been reeling a little bit. How rewarding was that for Brown to pitch incredibly well and then all of a sudden get his name back into a potential playoff rotation mix?
4: I think it was a a critical start for him. He had been really fighting at the last four starts prior to that, and you're right. I I think there's still a spot or two to be won in the postseason playoff uh, rotation. I think Christian Javier, probably based on his experience, is the likely. Number three, he's pitching tonight, and hopefully things go well for Christian against uh, this Royals team, which is actually a pretty good offensive team. It's not uh, a team to take lightly offensively. The A's have struggled offensively. Uh, the Royals' problems have come with their pitching staff, especially the bullpen. Uh, so hopefully Christian pitches well. But going back to your original question, yeah, that was a big one for Hunter. He probably has at least two more starts, probably a third, depending on how they shake things out uh, that final week of the season. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be – actually, he'll have two more for sure, and then we'll see uh, how they play out the rest of the way. But uh, that last one was a big one for him to try and get right and get ready for the postseason.
1: TK, you called it on Brantley. You said he'd been one of the, the best hitters in the American League for you know, the, the last several years. And when he came back, you expected that he would be you know, effective. He'd be in the lineup doing the things that we're used to seeing him do. And he has been. But now the bigger question becomes, they've still kind of handled him with kid gloves a little bit. They're resting him a lot. At what point do you take the training wheels off or the training table wheels off? and say, now we're going to push it a little bit more because he has been effective and you are in the middle of this pennant race going down the stretch?
4: Um, I don't think they're going to, to be honest. I think they're going to continue to watch him play two days in a row, three days in a row, and that will be uh, – I doubt he'll play more than three days in a row the rest of the way. Now, you have the advantage of having Thursday off days coming up uh, next week in the final week of the season, so there really aren't too many stretches where he would have to play a lot of days in a row. But I think they're going to find a spot for him to rest uh going down the stretch and then you when you get to the playoffs, you have those natural days built off built in for off days so uh yeah i would say brantley is probably not going to play more than three days in a row uh going forward and I, I think they'll they'll carry that all the way through the postseason but there's a lot of good options obviously you on a guy you want to dh and and yiner diaz is a guy that can dh for you uh so if michael's not in there on a particular day especially against the lefty you have a lot of good options
0: you don't really want to see the team that's chasing you in the American League West win six in a row, but but there are some silver linings there because now it does uh, get you three games clear of that Toronto team, which closest team to you if you were to miss the playoffs entirely.
4: Yeah, that was a tough series to figure out where you how you wanted to cheer for uh, what team to win. You, you definitely didn't want to see a four-game sweep for either side, but I guess between the two, uh, it was better that the Rangers swept Toronto for because Toronto was leading going into that series, but Toronto does win the tiebreaker with the Astros. So the further you could push Toronto down, it's not a bad thing. Now, obviously the AO West is looking better and better that they could have three teams in the postseason based on what Texas did. Just did Texas and the Mariners both win the tiebreaker against the blue Jays. Astros lose the tiebreaker against the blue Jays. So uh, it'll still be worth watching what the blue Jays do here against Boston. And We continue to need the uh, blue Jays to lose to continue to increase the Astros chances to do uh, be able to clinch before that final series against Arizona.
1: Todd, a few ups and downs at the back of the bullpen, but we always talk about the circle of dust and Dusty's first four that he's going to go to when everything matters and on the line. The last time you and I talked, we were thinking about the fact that it was coming down to Graveman and Montero. It seems like Montero has all but sewn that up, and Montero is your guy before you get to Neresa, Abreu and Presley. Was that what you were thinking
4: about it? It seems that way. I still think there's probably a day where Dusty's going to go to Graveman instead of Montero, just based on rest. But right now, it seems that, especially when you you look at what he did with that no-hitter, those are the guys that he trusted the most to try to preserve the no-hitter. So I I still think Graveman's going to pitch in plus situations in games. But uh, right now, if you're looking at the 6, 7, 8, 9, you probably have it right, probably Montero. Neres, Abreu, Presley. That seems to be the way he likes to go.
0: Todd, last one for you. The pressing question everybody wants to know. Houston barbecue or Kansas City barbecue?
4: You know, I I can't live in Houston and not say H-Town, but (laughs) Kansas City's got great, great barbecue. Uh, We went to Q39 last night, which is a relatively new barbecue place here in KC. It was phenomenal. I went to Jack Stacks today, so I've got my share of KC barbecue already in my two days here. Uh, Houston is always going to be number one because I live there. But KC is right there. I, I would, I would not hesitate to tell people to come to Kansas City and try their barbecue. It's awesome.
0: TK, save some for the rest of us.
4: Man, I know. <laughs> I know. I, I've been, I've been chowing. I need to, I need to go work out a little more because I've been chowing big time. So, so no I... press room food. <laughs> say that again. No press room food because you always
1: say that if there's good spots, you can avoid the press room food.
4: Oh, uh, Casey actually has good press uh, dining. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in trouble because I've already eaten a big stack <laughs> of uh, barbecue today, and there's press dining that's pretty good here. So, yeah. It's going to be one of those trips, even though it's a three-day trip, where I'm going to have to get an extra workout when I get back home.
0: Yeah, I'll be fine. You'll, you'll be fine. TK, thanks for the time, <laughs> as always. Have a great call. We'll be watching. All right, guys. Thanks. It's Todd Callis. Well, he got off the phone quick. Yeah, there. He, did. Did he and <laughs> you did. It was so was quick you didn't get to, the. P- He's going to the media dining. P- I think <laughs> he, didn't even get p- uh, he answered that politi- uh, politically. There, but Houston barbecue for sure. I'm not too fond of Kansas Isn't City, if I'm being honest. In Kansas City barbecue. I think they do pork. Like they're more of a pork base. Okay. Which I mean, give me a little bit of Houston. But I th- also the way that they do their sauce. I think they go. I can't remember. I, I think you I and think had Memphis. This conversation.
1: I don't think that if you have great barbecue, you don't need sauce.
0: No, but I think I think Memphis is kind of known for like their mustardy sauce. I think KC is kind of known for their vinegary sauce. Okay. Like, I think. You'll have to check me on that because I'm a Houston truest. Uh, now, I, I, I do not have fond memories in Kansas City. I've been eliminated from the NCAA tournament twice mm. in Kansas City, so I'm not too fond of Kansas City. All right, thanks to Todd Callis for joining us, presented by Daspit Law Firm and Academy. Yesterday, we saw the worst rule in all of sports, at least in my opinion, uh, with Justin Jefferson fumbling it out of the end zone. Touchback, other team gets the football. Is that the worst rule in sports. Which rule in sports is? Which rules in sports do you hate? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. The first Big 12 Conference game in Houston, Texas. Do not miss this historic game. It is tomorrow. U of H, the Cougars clashing against last year's national championship runner-up, the TCU Hornfrogs, Frogs. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. in TD ECU Stadium. It's time to fill TD ECU Stadium. It's going to Sell out, get your tickets now. Come early and enjoy all the new activities in Cougar Alley in front of TDECU Stadium, including the huge LED TV screen, the Bud Light Backyard, Coke Fan Fest, and more. Andre Ware, Heisman Trophy winner, will be stopping by the Bud Light backyard and we'll have a concert with DJ James Kennedy from Vanderpump Rules at 545 in FanFest on Cullen Boulevard. Buy a Cougar Paul package which includes three games. You can select TCU as one of those three options. The package is only $66, does not include the Texas game. $66, three games, that's less than $25 a ticket. Get your tickets today. Go to uhcougars.com slash tickets or call 713-GO-COUGS. Get your tickets right now. UHCougars.com slash tickets or 713-GO-COUGS. There's nothing like the fanfare and fun of college football. Historic day tomorrow. Big 12 conference game, first time in Houston Cougar history. Come early, be loud, and wear red.
4: 97.5 on Twitch. Oh, it's you you people. What do you mean, you people?
3: What do you mean, you people? Huh? At Academy Sports and Outdoors, we carry all the best gear from the top brands, all at prices you'll love. And now shopping is more convenient than ever at Academy.com and on the Academy app. Enjoy free shipping on orders of $25 or more with sign-in. Plus, easy in-store or curbside pickup. Shop anytime, anywhere, and find our widest selection of colors, styles, and sizes. From grills to fitness equipment to workout clothes, everything you need to have fun out there is right here at Academy.com.
0: Hey, Lance Zerline here. You know I'm a numbers guy, and I like the numbers that Daspit Law Firm is putting up for their clients. The super team at Daspit Law handles a full range of personal injury cases, and they are getting results from their clients in big numbers. Car accidents, truck accidents, industrial accidents, construction accidents, maritime accidents, offshore accidents. These are all areas where if it's you or someone you know, I encourage you to get
1: a free case review from John Daspet with the Daspet Law Firm. Call 713-CALL-NOW. That's 713-CALL-NOW. Is your savings account stacking up? If not, consider a CD from Home Bank. Right now, Home Bank is offering an annual percentage yield of 5.45% for an 11-month CD. The minimum balance for this CD special is $2,500. Rates this good don't come along often. So speak with a local banker at any Houston area location today. Home Bank, good for business, good for life. Member FDIC. Hey guys, Joel Blank here. As a better, you demand perfection, and my bookie delivers that. NFL, college football, and a brand new cash out system give you options to bet and to win all season long. First two legs of your parlay hit we can cash out early and place another bet or you can let it ride for that chance at a bigger payday. Join the MyBookie family for an entire season filled with daily odds boosts, same game parlays and super contests. This season MyBookie has a no strings attached cash bonus that lets you deposit and withdraw quick. Use promo code BET975 on a deposit of $50 or more and you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly to your MyBookie account. More money in your account, more chances to win, more games to bet on. Bet your deposit amount once and you're ready to withdraw at any time. Again, use that promo code BET975 to claim your cash deposit bonus. As I always tell you, you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with the only place I tell you to do it. It's MyBookie.ag. Use that promo code BET975. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. Uh Uh-oh.
2: Ladies
4: and gentlemen, I've just been handed an urgent news story. Stop what you're doing and listen. We have
3: breaking news from Chandler Rome about the Houston Astros and their biggest enemy... The batter's eye. The batter's
0: eye. No way.
3: They are making a change to the batter's eye. Now, per the Ashers, they have announced they are adding green paint to the right side of the batter's eye. A minute made before the next home stand. Batter's now, eye one players zero, or I guess the players win. The players win because they get the change. But
1: <laughs> isn't it Ivy? Whether it's is that fake or real? Uh, I t- no idea. It look. I mean, they. It looks. It, you're you're meant to believe that it's like growing green ivy or some kind of greenery, right?
0: I think it's a greenery. I don't think it's an ivy, though. Okay. I don't. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't. It's just think it's so. An ivy.
1: It's just so bizarre that this has I think taken it's on f- a
0: fake. It looks fake. It looks fake. Because they have because they
1: have fake. that well groomed uh, Astros logo on top of it. So what does this mean? It means that to, what you're saying to the right of it, Joe. Because they were talking about against big left-handed pitchers where it's really a problem.
3: Yeah. Yeah, their official announcement says the Astros are adding green paint to the right side of the batter's eye at Minute Maid Park. The adjustment will be complete prior to the upcoming homestand on Monday, September eighteenth.
0: I'm curious. Well, yeah, maybe they're just going to paint the surrounding areas green because I mean, there's people there. That's what I'm saying. Like, Do you have to like top.
1: lay down some panels or something like well, that? Well, like extend I'm looking it? at
0: it here, like there's concrete seats there that are kind of light colored, like like maybe like a sand, you know, like kind of like this right here on the awnings, where it's a very like light sandy color. So I bet they're going to paint that stuff green. That way you have a darker contrast with the baseball than that. So I'm guessing that they're going to paint the concrete
1: Well, If they paint green. the facade, I would think they would the be facade. more like some uh, like a temporary wrap or something like that because I think it's going to be a bad look on the aesthetics of the stadium, but I, don't know I get it for the batter's eye that you know, you, you're going to try something to help your team.
0: I've had people tell me off the record that it's significant. That this is something that it is Yeah. Yeah. I, I mocked it, but I had some people that I trust that have that have told me that this is a significant, this is a real thing. And hitters can't stand it. It is with it's specifically with left handed pitchers, and usually the taller they are, the more difficult. Or not necessarily taller, but the arm slot, the yep, higher it yep. is, the more difficult. Okay. And it has something to do with the walkway above the batter's eye, Gallagher, whatever they're calling it. And I actually went and looked at Fromber's numbers whenever I was told this. Fromber's a lefty. Now, he's not the tallest, obviously, and his slot, I guess, is normal. But his numbers at home, way better than his numbers on the road. So, like, it kind of checks out. And I had another person DM me that said that they told their workers that do not talk about the batter's eye. And I've also been told from another person that DM me. That said, that they've uh, they've had serious discussions, and this turned out to be true. They've had serious discussions about the batter's eye and something they can do this year. So, like this has been an ongoing thing.
1: So then it behooves me to ask the question, which we asked when this uh, all this stories started getting bigger and bigger and had more legs by the day. Why is it not affecting the visiting team, whose the, the road teams are are, are having no well, problem? Well, here is getting-
0: why. The Astros are all right-handed except for Fromber. All the Astros are all right except for Fromber, right? And Fromber's numbers at well, home are better wise, than n- Fromber's numbers on the road. So okay. like the, 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 the opposing hitters are doing fine, but this is more the batter's eye against lefties than it is against righties. I heard it's not a big deal against righties. And is really the only lefty, like if we get rid of Parker Mashinsky and Gage. And I have like, no problem with that. Right. (laughs) I know you don't. But Fromber's the only lefty. And Fromber actually is better at home than he is the road. All the other starters are righties. And, like, look who who mowed down the Astros, like, whenever they're at home. Like, you know, that lefty for Oakland did pretty good. Yeah, he did. Blake Snell was kind of – I mean, Blake Snell was good, but Blake Snell wasn't, like, traditional Blake Snell. That's interesting. So, the Astros – I mean, they've admitted it. And Chandler – I just pulled up the tweet, too. He says, uh, based on player feedback, according to a team – Well, and that's what I was
1: going to say, too. You're not going to do something like this quirky to try and get, you know – a different mentality going into games, and it just say it and do it because the team says, oh, well, now I'll hit better there. It had to be if they're acting on it this quickly, I could see them doing something for next year. But if they're doing it right now in most in their most critical part of the season, there has to be some legitimacy to why.
0: Yeah, I mean and I, this, is, this admits that it was legit.
1: <laughs> like yeah, this, that's what I mean. Yeah. This,
0: this, le- this admits that it was legit because now they're going to do something about it. Like the hitters have said enough to where now they're going to do something about it. So that's cool. Uh, the batter's eyes no longer win the American League West. That's fantastic. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. We saw the, I think, the worst rule in sports yesterday. Justin Jefferson, late in the first half, trying to reach for the pylon, loses the football, bounces over the pylon, goes out of bounds, touchback. Other team gets the football at the twenty. I think this is the worst rule in sports. People have been countering me today on Twitter. Oh, they shouldn't They shouldn't lose the football. Tell me why you can lose the football at the five-yard line. It goes out of bounds, and you get the football at the five. The goal line's the ultimate reward. You lose it at the goal line, and the other team gets the football at the 20? Makes sense of that for me. Like It's better if you fumble it at the one, obviously, than fumbling it through the end zone. I always thought this was too punitive. I've never liked the rule. I think it's the stupidest rule in all of sports, and we saw it yet again last night.
1: I hate it simply because of the fact that I think that you should determine it two different ways. It's one thing if a guy coughs it up in the middle of the field and it goes through the back of the end zone. Uh, And then I think that it's a a huge offensive gaffe. You're not protecting the football well enough, and therefore I could justify the defense getting the football and putting it on the 20. When you're doing what Jefferson did, when you're trying to just get that extra yard, Uh, I think that that's a tough pill to swallow for any team because of the fact you didn't fumble it. It wasn't your mistake. You were actually trying to give the extra effort to get where you were trying to go. And the fact that it was deemed that it slipped out of his hands and went over the pylon. I think that's B.S.
0: I, I think it's silly. Somebody on the text line, 713-780-ESPN, what's the alternative to that? Call it a safety? No, you are not. You shouldn't get the other team points for basically allowing a touchdown, but it gets fumbled through the end zone. I think the other team should get the ball at like the five, or just put it at the one, or put it at the two, or put it at the extra point spot. I think that's the answer. Like It's never you made don't think sense to me. It matters if it's
1: knocked out or if he's trying to get to the...
0: No, I don't. Like, if you do that at the one-yard line, it bounces out at the one, you get the football at the one. Now you go towards the end zone. You're losing it on the way into the end zone, goes through the end zone. The defense actually did a worse job than knocking it out at the one, yet you're rewarding the defense. I feel like the the difference there is so small. No, what what would you do with the
1: offense? So I would say that if no one else touched it and it went out of bounds, you can't give them a touchdown. Because no, I don't think that, you should get a touchdown. Because that's the rule, right? You can't carry the ball or fumble the ball into the end zone and recover it. Right. But then I think that an offensive player losing the ball where he lost the ball yeah. is where you retain possession of the football.
0: I like that. I think it's the way I would I, – if I could change that rule to anything, I'd do that. Like if you're diving to the end zone where you lose the ball.
1: I don't even – Do you agree with me too that separate from that, though, if you fumble it going into the end zone and you fumble it on your own accord or the defense, whatever, the defense, but you fumble it, it goes through the back of the end zone. Now I think it's a turnover.
0: No, I don't.
1: You don't? No. In the middle of the field?
0: Hold on. Say that again. How would it so, be in the middle so of the field? So a guy has
1: the ball in the middle of the field because the fumble still. Like between a the touch hashes? Mat. Yeah, you're between the hashes and you're go some guys celebrate too early or, or or you know, they're running and it slips out of their hands. If it slips out of their hands and goes into the back of the end zone, then that definitely has to be a touchback. Yeah,
0: I'm cool with that. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I thought you meant like the 50. when no, you, said no, no, the field. No, you No, no, no. You meant between no, the hashes. No, yeah, no, I was no. confused there. How you can be at the 50 and then yeah. towards the goal line. What are some other rules in sports that you hate? Well, there's two
1: obvious ones. It's the tuck rule, and then it's the Des caught it fumble rule. I hate the fumble rule. Like I hate the fact that you can sit there and see a guy that legitimately caught the football and, and, and had possession of the football, and then you know then it becomes this, this whole three-part system to try and figure out and and you can catch it and go to the ground with it and it can be a, everybody in their mind looks at it and goes that's a catch and then the rule states that it's actually a fumble
0: yeah i don't they kind of changed that though right they did like, tweak it I actually think that the catch rule is more vague now than it was then. I think like you're right. I I thought that it was actually pretty
1: definitive
0: then. Like was it the best definition of a catch? I don't think so. Was it more definitive? I do
1: think so. The rule was definitive, but I was there and I was obviously rooting against the Cowboys in the Dez and there's no doubt in my mind that was a catch.
0: Based on the rule or based on what you describe as a catch? What I
1: saw and what I would yeah. describe as a catch. But based for on the rule, sure.
0: based on the rule, I thought for sure it was incomplete cuz you got to survive the ground.
1: Yeah. Like, back then.
0: Like, but that's the rule you got baseball, it and, too. And,
1: and you got it and had possession of it with steps and then hit the ground and it could still be ruled incomplete, I just – I didn't – I've never agreed with
0: that. Somebody said that all the rules in golf, which is accurate. Uh, I, I hate a couple of scoring things. Like, we've talked about it before. Like, if you hit a ground ball to the right side, you move the runner to third base with less than one out, that should be a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. They never get credit for that. I hate when a guy's trying to drag bunt and they throw him out and they give him a sacrifice. I hate that. Uh, you know one thing that I hate in basketball – is whenever you make a pass to a like whoever, slashing to the rim or whatever, it doesn't mean really matter, he gets fouled, misses the layup, they make the free throws. How come that guy doesn't get an assist? assist. That's
1: a good why question. Why doesn't he get, why does he get well, an assist? And, and you know me, the basketball, the, the rules and the lack of rules that I hate is the whole challenge rule in the NBA, but you can only do it once, and then you lose the ability to challenge when it matters most in the final two minutes of a game. I thought the league used to have it right where anything – yeah, in the last two minutes of the game, that looks to be challengeable. The referees can challenge and go to replay for. And I thought they completely got it backwards, and now it's all screwed up because now you have to save your challenge. And even if you know, even if you know you're right earlier in the game, if you don't save your challenge and you challenge then, even if you're right late in the game, you can't get the right call to be made. I hate that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Someone said the uh, college football knee down rule. That's always an interesting one to me where you can go down, touch the knee, and you're down without anybody touching you. It's kind of, you know, it's supposed to be tackle football, right? Right. I could see that one. 713 780 ESPN. Bobby Slowick. Texans offense coordinator, I thought he was poor in week one. Of any Houston Texan in that organization, I thought he was the worst of anybody. Uh, He took some blame yesterday. Is there a possibility that Bobby Slowick's in over his head? It's the killer bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5.